0: First of all, you come, and we're eager to be with you in this conversation. Thank you, my friend.
1: You know, Jesus was asked on that one occasion, Master, what's the greatest commandment? And it's uh, interesting. He didn't say, you know, I'm I'm not quite sure. Come back tomorrow and I'll see if I can figure it out. He took a verse out of Deuteronomy 6 and 1 out of Leviticus 18 and put them together. And he said that that greatest of commandment was about loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving neighbors as we love ourselves. Uh, it's in essence and critically important that the greatest of commandments is relational. It's not about a great commandment of knowledge or a great command of duty, or of obligation, obedience. Yeah. It's about love. And what I'd like to do in my time is to just share a little bit of some of the challenges of fulfilling the great commandment and tie that with the importance of encountering the one who is love. I think in many ways the great commandment is uh, predicated on the principle that if you and I are to love God and love others we have to first receive love. So in 1 John 4 says we love because he what? First loved us. What kind of God would it be who commanded us to love him who haven't first loved us? So when Jesus gives the greatest commandment he's talking about first having received it and then we might share it with both him and others. So that when Jesus in John 13 speaks about a New commandment he gives, he says. A new commandment that we would love one another, he finishes it with, even as I have loved you. So i want going to talk about a little bit of those challenges, but particularly the hope that we have in encountering the person of Jesus. And I'm going to do that through some images of Jesus and a few Bible verses. What I'd like to do is to talk about a little bit the idea of how do you love neighbors. You know, one of the ways you love neighbors, I think, is you accept them the way you've been accepted. And I began to find in my own life that oftentimes I wasn't good at acceptance. Uh, I was better at times at uh, rejection. There was something in my humanity that felt threatened by differences. In other words, that if people were a lot different than I were, they were different in their beliefs, they were different in their behaviors or morals, they were different in their religion, that something inside of me wanted to not accept as I had been accepted, but to reject. Even played itself out for some of us. How many of you are married? It played itself out in how my married challenges came about. My wife and I were very different. I don't know about you and your spouse, but in those differences, I began to find that I wasn't expressing the accepting love of Jesus oftentimes. That, for example, uh, she might, uh, I might say about myself, I was flexible, and she might say, No, he's oblivious. <laughs> I might, she might say about herself, She's precise precise about everything. And I might say she's perfectionistic. And we wasted a lot of years, I think, in my trying to change her and make her like me. I think I began to love neighbors better when I realized something called the Zacchaeus principle. We have an image, I think, of Jesus that basically out of Luke 19 talks about his encounter with this one in Jericho. You remember that day when he encountered Zacchaeus, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the hope of fulfilling the great commandment through, first, loving encounters with Jesus. So for me to better accept people the way they've been accepted had to do with the fact that as Zacchaeus found himself in that tree, it's not just about Zacchaeus. Sometimes it was about me. It was about me at times of disappointment and discouragement. It was about me at times feeling left out. And yet, when I remember the encounter of the Spirit of God takes the red letters off the page, and this welcoming Jesus says, hurry on down, I'm going to your house today. And something took place inside of me, but that encounter is not just about Zacchaeus, at times it's about me. A sense that he wants to be with me. Those are transformative encounters. We see it in that passage that as he accepts him, one of the most accepting things to have meals together, to break bread together, to eat out of the same bowls together. But it was a transformative encounter. During that meal, half of all I have I give to the poor. Anybody I've stolen from, I give back fourfold, Zacchaeus says. What I want to suggest is that I believe the fulfillment of the great commandment is critically tied to those intimate, loving encounters with Jesus, who is love. You see, because all across the pages of the gospel, we find, is this not true? We find people encountering Jesus, and they go away different. Does anybody remember any names of people that went away different? Come on, give me some names. Nicodemus, who else? The woman at the well, Saul, the woman caught in adultery. Peter, James, John, The disciples. Saul, the the man born blind, the man with a withered hand. And the reality is that you and I are faced today with this probing question. Do transformative encounters with Jesus still happen? Do they still happen? I think that's the key to the great commandment that we're not just talking about a historical, reliable book that describes transforming encounters, but we're talking about a principle from Hebrews 13, 8, that he, Jesus, is the same yesterday, what? Today and forever. And so we deal with the fact that Jesus not only accepts Zacchaeus, but he at times accepts who? Us, and more personally, who? Me. Me. And that, for me, was transformative, to begin to realize that the more I was overwhelmed with the wonder and gratitude that I had been accepted, it empowered my acceptance of other people. It broke down those barriers, that regardless of how different they were, regardless of their lifestyle differences from mine, or their beliefs from mine, or theology from mine, or religion from mine, that I had received the overwhelming, gracious wonder of His loving acceptance. And so I think one of the principles of fulfilling the great commandment is the principle of freely we must receive so that we can freely what? So we can freely give. So I know in my challenge to accept there was this important principle. The second place I was challenged was simply if we're going to love neighbors, the powerful simplicity of praying for neighbors. In years of ministry, I'd have to say I I could teach and I could share uh, Christ in different situations, but I didn't have the kind of prayer life that I know I needed to have. I want you to look at another image about prayer because I remember during this particular time of my life, my wife and I have three children, two daughters and a son. Uh, My God was gracious in the order and gave us our children. My oldest daughter was somewhat angelic growing up. You caught her doing something wrong, frowned at her, she breaks into tears and repents. Easy to parent child. Second one, Robin, a little harder, a little bit more like her mother maybe, but then finally, uh, Finally, Eric. Now, when Eric came along, my wife and I would say, if we'd have had him first, we might not have had other children. He was a challenge at times. And, and so I, I remember my wife coming in one day and saying, honey, there's, there's animals eating our plants, deers, armadillos, something. I said, no, that's your son sneaking out at night, tearing up your bushes. Notice I said, your son sneaking out at night. And so during those times, there was tension, and I, I wasn't doing a good job of loving Eric well. And I began to be impressed out of Luke chapter 22 When Jesus encounters Peter, it was during a time when I felt a lot of defeat, a lot of defeat as a father, a lot of defeat as a minister father. And I remember the connection I had with Peter. Peter who would blurt out, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, do anything you want me to do, only to have Jesus say in Luke 22, no, it won't be long till you will deny me three times. But in these words, powerful red letters, but I, Jesus, have prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And when you're restored, strengthen your brothers. Yet the probing question about a Jesus who prays is this one. Does Jesus only pray for people named Peter in the first century? What do you think? You see, these rhetorical questions, I think, challenge us in our understanding of not only a rational, knowledge-based faith, but a relational faith. And it challenged me to look at Hebrews 7.25. He ever lives to make intercession. What if it was true that at times the interceding Christ at times prayed for me? I remember Romans chapter 8, 33, 34. Who will bring charge against you? Who shall condemn you? And Paul answers it this way. There's only one who can condemn. Only one who can bring charge. And it's this Jesus who's lived, who's died, who's been raised. And then these beautiful words, who now intercedes for you. And I had an encounter with a Jesus who prays. But he didn't just pray, he prayed for me. It was transformative. In fact, it turned me into a morning person. I was a classic night person. I, you know, stayed up late, helped the kids with late night homeworks. If I could sleep in, I did. It produced a change. It brought me into a morning time of just being quiet and in the dark. It changed how I prayed. My prayers were less filled with self-centeredness. They were less filled with self-pity. They were less filled with petitions and asking, and they were more filled with listening. Listening. I had my merry moments of Jesus, the Bible says, where Mary sat at his feet listening. I learned to listen in prayer. Rather than focus upon my son's behaviors and how he needed to change to get fixed, I began to pray for my son, and I began to listen. I began to listen about how Jesus might want to change not only my son, but who else? His father. Now, I remember the morning in listening, he took me to a passage in Ephesians. It says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And he began to focus on me and how I played a role in some of the rebellion my son was living out. I would never got to that. I would never have been able to love my son like that had not God led me into a time of praying with Jesus. I begin many mornings with a meditation of Jesus like that one in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees praying and my images of me beside him praying. You see, because for a lot of years, I think the testimony of my life was like that in Matthew 26, when he said to his disciples, can you not pray with me just one hour? And so it was transformative for me to deal with the fact that, in fact, he was oftentimes praying for me. He was praying for my family. He was praying for my son. But a great deal of the time, he did it without me. He did it without me. You see, because I believe one of the things that happened was I began to listen, and this Jesus began to speak, and it was transformative. It taught me a lot about love. It taught me a lot about loving God. Again, how many of you are parents? I'm going to show you an example. How many of you are parents? What if one of your children, teenagers, young adults, showed up in your life and said, Mom, Dad, I'd like to take a little time to just sit and listen and let you speak into my life? (laughs) Now, After you woke up of having passed out, I think you would agree that that experience would have communicated to you love. One of the most powerful ways we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength is to show up and listen. To pray young Samuel's prayer, speak, Lord, your servant listens. It was transformative. It transformed my relationship with my son. A third one that was very important to me was to learn to hurt with people, to learn to express compassion. You see, if we're going to love neighbors, we've got to accept them. We've got to pray for them. And I think we've got to express compassion to them. Now, I don't know about you, but I just don't ooze compassion my training was very rational, and my theological background was very rational. And, and so when someone was hurting, I didn't ooze compassion. I oozed lectures and sermons. Some of you husbands, you ever showed up and your wife's irritated about something, disappointed about something? I was clueless as to what to say. I said all the wrong things apparently, like what's wrong with you now? <laughs> what's wrong with you this time? Didn't seem to help, didn't seem to work. I'd give facts, logic, reason, didn't seem to help. At times, I would try to give advice. Teresa, if you'll handle it like this, maybe it won't happen again. And I remember her saying to me one day, when I'm irritated, upset, disappointed, don't give me advice. When you give me advice, which make me feel like you're saying if I was as smart as to you, I wouldn't have got myself into this. Don't give me advice. I remember standing there thinking, if I don't say what's wrong with you now, don't give you facts, logic, reason, can now even give you advice. I have no vocabulary. I'm clueless. And it drove me, and I think any times we find ourselves being challenged to love horizontally with our neighbors, it should drive us into a deepened intimacy love relationship with Jesus. And it drove me to the shortest verse of the Bible. It took me back to another image with Jesus with tear-filled eyes. When he encounters Mary and Bethany after the death of Lazarus, the Bible says when he sees her tears, he was moved deeply within his spirit. And then the shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus wept. It was transformative to me. David, when you see hurting people, most of the time they don't need advice. They don't need lectures. They don't need spiritual platitudes and pep talks. It'll be better tomorrow. God will work this together for good. What they need is the move of the Holy Spirit to be to them the God of all comfort. And I remember showing up in my wife's life She's irritated probably about something my son was going through, and I remember saying to her, Teresa, I can really see that you're hurting, and whatever's going on, I want you to know I care. Now, men, I hugged her, pulled away, and she was getting better. And I remember thinking, you ought to write that down. You've been looking for that sentence a long time. (laughs) What was happening was a transformative encounter with the compassion of Jesus was offering me the opportunity to care for other people. In closing, one last image, an image from Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm humble and gentle. I want to close in just a moment with this thought. I believe Jesus is inviting each of us in that verse to come and take this yoke, which is a yoke of love. And to close this time to be able to say, He is oftentimes loving people, but oftentimes He's loving them without us. Would you bow your head for just a moment? Before our brother comes and we close, would you just ask the Lord in the quietness of this time that you might join him in loving people well. Might it be, Lord Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen.
0: I've been told to pray and read the Bible to know Jesus, but are there other good ways to get close to Jesus?
2: <laughs>
0: David, I think you were talking some about that. Do you want? you have any response? And, and and if not, don't feel pressured to answer. We'll just we'll scroll through and.
2: Yeah, we can just say uh, Tom Wright will answer them tomorrow. I heard that's a good. I heard that's a good, what,
0: that's what, that's a good way can, to get out of these it it that can you can don't do that. know how to answer them. Can do that.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, at least one thing I was alluding to is. Uh, in reference last night, this idea of kind of immersing ourselves in the Gospels. Yeah. And, um, Thank you, David. And to then uh, look at those ways and those stories in the Gospels in the following line. Number one, how is Jesus loving the person in the text? Mm-hmm. He was loving Zac- Zacchaeus by accepting him. He was loving Peter by praying for him. Mm-hmm. He was loving Mary by hurting with her. And secondly, you embrace, I think, a, a very critical part of a relational theology, if you will, that this Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. Mm-hmm. So that this Jesus still accepts, he still prays, he still expresses compassion. And then I think you have the liberty and the freedom to put yourself in the text mm-hmm. and allow Jesus to love you like he loved the person in the text. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is an important principle of deepening that sense of closeness with Jesus. Yeah, it's helpful. Mm, that's good.
2: Helpful. You know, I think uh, one, of the, one of the ironies for me in rediscovering Jesus has been, I grew up in this world where it was all about, you know, have your daily quiet time, have your daily quiet time. And, yeah. and that became, um, you know, a, a stumbling block for me. It just became kind of a ritual and something that, yeah. um, that wasn't real meaningful for me. Um, but what I've learned in really experiencing more intimacy with Jesus is that, and when I talk to the people that do this well, what they talk about is, is having healthy rhythms and immersing themselves in this. They talk about uh, the value of having like a really good daily quiet time, but they use cooler words to describe yeah. it. And so, um, yeah. So, I don't know. I just think that's worth maybe pointing out.
0: Yeah, the healthy rhythms. What you guys are speaking to that I hear is that if we're gonna go missional, which is a big word, if we're gonna go out and be neighborly, if we're gonna go out and love our sons better, both of you kind of hinted to the question of what kind of person ought I to be, Hmm. can I be, in order that to just be a natural outflow of my life? Yeah. It's not trying to move outward. It's actually going, and you're saying, sit in that Ignatian understanding of Imagining yourself in the scriptures. And. Okay, here's the next one. Um, mm. And We have just a couple of minutes. This will probably yeah. be our last question. Do you like this one, David? Yeah, I do. Uh, I like you this want to read it for us?
2: You want to read it for us? Yeah, you bet. Um, how do you love your neighbors with your family when you are concerned that they might influence your family negatively? Um, yeah, this, like, if you lean into this idea of like, going after and building a relationship with your literal neighbors, it's going to be really messy. Um, your family, your kids are going to be exposed to all kinds of things um, that they may not be if you weren't in these types of relationships. And here's the best part about that. It actually happens while you're there. It actually happens in your home. So my kids and the things that they're being exposed to and the new words that they're learning and new thoughts are coming do, it's not just happening, right? <laughs> it's not just happening out there in the classroom and then they're coming home and I just hope that we get a chance to process it with them. It's happening like right there. And we're in the moment and being able to have some of the most incredible conversations about what that word means or what this person said or that person or this like sexual innuendo, but it's happening in our home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, been,
1: that's been like a real
2: gift right that we didn't know
1: uh, was gonna be there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, that possibility and I hope of almost my family on mission with Jesus is critically important. Mm-hmm. You know, our our kids probably grew up with, uh, you know, those those neighbors yeah. with bad words and yeah. people living with us that, uh, uh, you know, at times yeah. that needed to be there, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, came off the streets and all yeah. kinds of things. And, and and there's those challenges and it was messy and you have to to look at the, the, the challenges of that. But long term, as now uh, we find our children in ministry with us. Yeah, uh, they've caught it. Great and, picture. Uh, I think I think the idea of being able to catch it. As we live it, is uh, is worth the mess. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I like that integration. It's not like, hey, kids, uh, daddy's gonna go out and minister.
2: Yeah, and I'll say this too, Barry. The neighboring is the lowest common denominator of missional. You know, I I don't. You know, I go to all these. We sit in all these rooms and talk about missional and, you know, what that means and. Uh, deconstruct all the rest of the, you know, the, old, the, the former stuff, but like, when you actually get really, if you want to make, make this thing really sticky, you want to make missional really sticky, uh, go outside, spend more time in your front yard, start learning your neighbors' names, and it's like the, the entry kindergarten level to, to missional living. Yeah, the door opens up to the world right out of
0: your own street, so. Yeah. Thank you guys, this yeah, is great. David, thank you so much. David, excellent stuff, thank you.